What's up, everyone? MTG Goldfish Podcast here, episode 32. We got a lot to talk about this week. As always, with me here, Richard, what is up? Hey, everyone. What's up? And Seth, how's it going, dude? Going good, guys. How are you? We're doing okay. Chaz here. We're all here. Uh, We have a good amount of stuff on the docket. Richard uh, wants us to go over some questions. There's some really good dialogue going on with these. So we're going to talk about uh, it was recently mentioned that there's going to be full art lands in the Battle for Zendikar Fat Packs, uh, akin to them being in the original Zendikar Fat Packs. So good value there uh, if for everyone that likes basic lands. So we're going to touch on that. A ton of Eternal Weekend stuff. Um, we have our little gripes about uh, specific things about it, but it was really fun to watch. The Star City Games uh, Open Modern was uh, a great great tournament to watch as well really fun so we're going to touch on that we got price movement and fish mail yeah so um let's let's get this let's just let's just get this going so we'll start off with the the zendikar stuff so richard you posted on the website that the the announcement was made that the full art lands are going to be in the fat pack so i'm just going to rattle down some of the questions so our full art lands special i'm going to pose this to all of us the price projection of the Battle for Zendikar lands, and then what will happen to the Zendikar and unglued full art lands, your favorite basic land art, and um, yeah, so let's talk about those while we're on the subject. Uh, Richard, why don't you uh, start us off? Yeah, so interestingly enough, Wizards has a way of dropping bombs like indiscreetly on Twitter. Someone asked, like, hey, are there going to be full art lands in the Battle for Zendikar fat pack? And then Trick Jarrett's like, yes. And uh, that was posted on Reddit, and soon enough, everyone bought all the fat packs in existence. So people love their full art lands. The fat packs come with 80 lands, so you should be getting uh, 80 full art lands, and you have 9 boosters, so you get 9 more um, full art lands in there, and the chance of some foil full art lands. So back then, when Zendikar came out, I believe no one cared about full art lands, and they were mostly ignored. Or sorry, back then when Zendikar came out. So they were, I think, just 25 cents. I know when I started playing, uh, I picked them up for 50 cents. And that was around the Innistrad time. Uh, So magic has grown significantly since then. So how much do you think the basic lands will will cost now? Will they be a dollar anytime soon? Will they be even 25 cents? Are they going to be the price of a common? Or are they going to be bulk? Can you pick them up and draft leftovers? What do you guys think? I think you'll be able to... Uh, actually, why don't you field this first, Seth? We haven't heard from you yet. All right. Well, I think they will be very cheap for a long time, unless... <laughs> All right. Uh, let me basically explain this more. I think the supply will be so high that they won't be that expensive. There's going to be a ton of these out there. This will probably be the next greatest, biggest open set of all time. So there's going to be a ton of these out there while the set's being opened. The one thing that could happen to drive the price up faster would be if everyone is hoarding these lands thinking oh this is going to be worth two or three dollars someday and they're not sitting out in draft draft leftovers and people just immediately start hoarding them that could drive up the price quicker but i think that it's going to take quite a while until they are expensive but they can get there eventually yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you seth i mean i think you'll still i mean what people don't realize is, like, you can find these fat packs, like, all over the place. They're in Walmart. They're in Target. They're, like, everywhere. 
And and this is not like some finite like supply thing. They just keep printing these things all the way through until I, pr- I think like a year or something like that, or you know until they run out. I mean, it's it's definitely going to be uh, a while. I'm not totally sure how long they print them for. Uh, do you know, Seth? I don't know the exact time frame, but I, it should be at least while Zendikar is actively being drafted, so at least six to nine months, uh, based on my understanding of it, but I don't know an exact date, no. Right, so, yeah, um, half a year, something like that. Um, so if, if the lands become, like, $1, you're buying a fat pack for 40 and then getting $80 worth of lands? It just, I, I don't really see that happening. Richard, you did mention something that's very key. Uh, the the Zendikar lands weren't that expensive when they first came out. I even remember that too. Uh, you were you could easily find them. I mean, they were in the fat packs as well. I think you know they're still gonna maintain some sort of price, but the the older ones anyway. Uh, the newer ones, there's just gonna be so much more uh, supply. Even when comparing them to Zendikar, I mean, Zendikar is kind of old already. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with Seth here. The the new lands probably will be very cheap, uh, akin to what they what the Zendikar lands did when they first came out. Because I mean, people weren't really like that enthralled with them. I mean, people liked them. You were still able to get them left over from draft. You had them from the fat pack. So there was a lot of them out there. Uh, but there's even gonna be more so uh, this time around. Do you think we can get into some bizarro situation where the the non full art lands are worth more? Like, I think the only way you can get them is through intro packs, right? Like, I I don't know how else you can get the the regular frame lands. Like, maybe everyone has these full art lands, and so to stand out and look cool, you go with the Battle for Zendikar framed lands. Maybe I mean the the foils should probably command a price still. Um, wait, or the foil. Full arts, rather. I don't know if, like, that that wasn't really a thing in Zendikar. Like, people still <laughs> wanted to play the full arts. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't think uh, a basic land is ever going to be more than, like, a full art land. I personally am not a big Unless fan of Unless it's, like, a guru arts. land or something. So, that's why it, it's fascinating to me that people are going crazy over this. And I wonder if it's a, a status thing. Like, oh, you know, look how pimp my deck is. But if everyone and their mother has full art lands in their decks. Like, are you still going to want to run them? And are you going to go out of your way to get them? Well, then, I mean, then you start doing, like, the hipster thing, and you start running, like, the, like, 7th edition mountains or something like that with the white border just to stand out or something like that. It, it's, like, it's weird. Uh, I like the full art lands just because they're um, aesthetically pleasing. I also like the non-full art ones, like, Lands from Onslaught, uh, lands from Odyssey. I think actually me and you had a discussion on this, Seth, off cast one time. Yeah, I think we did. For me, I like full art lands too. The Zendikar lands, the original Zendikar full art lands, aren't my favorite. I really, really like the unhinged and unglued lands. Um, I always get the two confused, but the really goofy one with the big fat brown border, um, those are my favorite. I think uh, those the, are the ones I hate. I remember this. <laughs> I think those are unclued, but those are my my favorite full art lands. But typically, I like some of the old lands personally. Um, Mirage block, all the Mirage block basics are my favorite lands uh, of all time. So if I have a choice and I'm playing a deck, I will tend to play Mirage lands over anything else, except in. Uh, 
rare circumstances. On Magic yeah. Online, it's different because I have so many basic lands. I kind of go with what I'm feeling at the time. But in paper, it's Mirage. Are you yeah, that I guy definitely... that has the pack of lands and you come to draft and then you sleeve up your Mirage lands and you go? No. Yeah. I'm not that crazy about it. <laughs> I'm that, I, I do that. <laughs> if I go to pre-release, I will bring my Mirage lands with me and play them in my deck. That's hardcore. Man. I don't want to go through I, the the land box and dig out some mismatched M15 lands. That's how you discover new lands. You're like, oh, this art's cool, and then you spend the next <laughs> ten minutes trying to find matching lands. <laughs> I I do do that. Like I'll search through the land box and at least try to like pick the same forest or like the same island, but like from the land box, I'm not going to show up with like my onslaught lands just to sleeve them up for a draft or something like that. That's I think that's a little uh, not to you know call you crazy or anything like that, but. Uh, that's a little uh, aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, another really good one is like foil, the foil edition lands, like 8th edition, 9th edition, 10th edition, where you have the black border um, when it would normally be the white border. Those are nice, too. I think it's honestly just preference. Like, people catch flack for, like, white border or whatever. But, I mean, if you like white border, I don't personally like white border. But if you like it, go for it. But... If I had to choose a full art one, I think I'm going to lean towards what you said and go with the Unhinged. Unhinged was just... Those those full arts are just really nice. Speaking of giving people crap for their lands, I will say, if you show up to an on-camera tournament and you're playing mismatch, like, draft leftover lands, you do deserve <laughs> some crap for that. Like, I think I think they should have a flavor judge who takes and knocks some number of points off based on how ugly or beautiful your mana base is uh, before the Absolutely. game starts. So if you have, like, mismatched draft lands, you'll start at, like, 16 life instead of 20 or something. Or, like, after enough points accrue, you get a game lost. Yes. <laughs> we, we want the top eight to not only be good players, but also nice-looking decks, because it's going to be on camera. <laughs> the, the next edition of the uh, video coverage rules. Yes. <laughs> I bet you guys what? guess what my lands are. You guys guess what my favorite lands are? Uh, fetch lands, old border. Actually, are we talking basics? We're talking about basics. <laughs> yeah, basics. Um, uh, Arabian Nights. What? What am I made of money? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Beta man. Oh yeah. Okay. Beta lands. Oh yeah. Because Arabian Nights, like, they're not even comparable, are they? Well, I mean, if you want Arabian Nights mountains, but. Uh... <laughs> Everything else Arabian, is, uh, is garbage, Arabian, in my opinion. Always the classic betas, or or I'll take unlimited and revised if you want the white borders to speed up your searching. So there you go. You mentioned beta, Richard. This is a little off topic, but did you catch any of the hype about this old school format over the weekend? It was all over Twitter. Randy talked about it constantly during the tournament. What do you think of old school or ninety three, ninety four? I heard uh, about it, and I would love to play it. If only there was a way to do it without actually going to Eternal Weekend. Like, yeah. you know, because I actually played Magic during that time where, you know, the cards were close enough, but I didn't know anything that was going on. So it'd be very cool to play with that same card set, like, with 20 years of Magic Theory behind me now, right? Or whatever it's been, right? So it would actually be very cool to play some of the old school decks. That's a That's a really interesting point, like how it would be so much different now that you've played the game for so long to go back and play, like, those old cards. And I think that's, like, why everyone does it. Wouldn't you be able to do, like, F&Ms at least? 
for it, or is it not like an official? Your, your like, store, your store can do whatever you want, right? But the store has right, to agree to not hold their fifty-person standard FNM and play this format where no one has any cards, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I will. I will warn you, Richard. What's the what's that black card? Something. Oh, what's Guardian's Beast? Guardian Beast, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've checked up on uh, old friends like that, what is but uh, they've been—they're uh, <laughs> quite a, a lot more than they used to be. It's, Holy it's crap! It's so yeah. interesting. The supply of these old sets, like Alpha through Arabian Nights and Legends, are so low that even this slight uptick in demand from this relatively small group of people that's interested in yeah. old school yeah. format is really driving price growth. Like, that could never happen with modern or standard or even most legacy cards, but the supply is so tiny, like, any increase in demand sends these prices shooting through the roof. Yeah, like, if you buy, like, a Guardian Beast, that's, like, a third of the entire online, like, (laughs) like, a tenth of the entire online, like, inventory of Guardian Beast. It's, like, really nuts. It's beginning to enter, like, collector's... Yeah, uh, like the collector's domain where like there is no price for this, right? It's like, is there one available, and how much are you willing to pay? Like, it's starting to get to that level. It is. I mean, it's it's nuts. Like, even even some of like the more obscure cards are like increasing in value because they were good back then, and like there's just not a lot of them. Yeah, and a lot of them are on the reserve list, which doesn't help either, I guess, but. Because, like, even reserveless commons can all, could suddenly spike just because of a, a renewed interest in this, like, format. It's, it's nuts. It's really crazy. I'm, and it was all over Eternal Weekend. Oh, like you said. yeah, it was a huge deal at Eternal Weekend. And a lot of pros just on Twitter and social media seemed really excited about the potential of joining this format. So maybe it'll actually catch on. Uh, one thing I'm wondering about and I haven't figured out yet is if it's possible to play this format on Magic Online. Like, I know they didn't officially release, like, Alpha, Beta, Legends. A lot of those cards have entered the system eventually, but I wonder if enough of them are there. That Aren't we they could... all in the Master's Edition? Not all. Many. But there are still some cards from Legends, Arabian Nights, that are not on Magic Online at all. Well, Guardian Beasts is online. <laughs> These decks will be very cheap online for the most part. Like... Uh, the price problem that you get in paper, dual lands are like three bucks on Magic Online right now. So you can put together a legit old, crazy. <laughs> old school deck for nothing and test out this format. So I'm kind of excited to try that out sometime. Yeah, we we digress a little bit, but um, uh, yeah, I think we covered. Did you want to? Did you have uh, another thing you wanted to touch on about lands, either of you? Oh, one. Uh, okay. Question what do you guys you think guys? about? Oh, go ahead, Seth. All right, just a quick question. Do either of you know how much a Zendikar, original Zendikar fat pack, will cost you on eBay? I think like $350. The la- completed <laughs> listings, the last ones I'm seeing are, yeah, $289. Some are listed for up to $350. Do you think, Thank you. Do you think there's <laughs> potential in holding on to these new fat packs, not opening them, and trying to sell them five years down the road? Uh, I just don't know. There's, There's like so many, so much more of them, you know, if that makes sense. Like, looking back five years, like, Zendikar, like, the the player base has grown so much that they're printing so much more than they used to even five years ago. 
And, I mean, I guess the other argument against it is there's no fetch lands, so you don't have the lottery aspect of right. opening a $100 scalding tarn or $80 scalding tarn. Exactly. Like, it's one thing to get all of the $1 lands in there. It's another thing you have the added bonus of opening up a scalding tarn or, you know, a misty or, or any any of the Zendikar stuff. Like, even, like, Fel- Felidar Sovereign, like a, a random mythic in there. You just did an article on this, actually, so you should know what I'm talking about. It's like randomly like 13, 15 bucks or something like that. The odd thing is, though, if you think that these new full art lands will eventually be a dollar or two, just that alone would make it worth holding on to the fat pack. Because you get, what, 89 of the basic lands between the packs and the land packs that you get? Well, it's like the it's like the Modern Masters thing, right? Like an old box, like the first Modern Master box, like those are going for like double of like what these are going for in X amount of time. Like in another two years, wait, how long, how long did Modern Masters, the, the last one came out in 2011? No, 2013. 2013. 2013. So two years later, they've been holding like 350, what, like closer to 400? Yeah. So in two years, do you think, like, this Modern Masters is going to be as much as the first boxes? No, probably not. So then you have to kind of, like, take that into account. Like, will these Zendikar in five years, with X amount more supply, be the same as a now 10-year-old set of, like, Zendikar? Maybe they might, like, double in price, which is, I guess, okay. You're looking at, like, what, 20 bucks a year? Yeah, something something like that. I guess that's all. I mean, eh. Yeah. Do you think they could crack, like, 100? Maybe. It's, I mean, it's it, going to depend on, like, what the chase mythics are, right? Like, yeah. a lot of the value and, is the packs themselves, and we don't know any cards from from the set yet. And also the art, right? If it's, like, John Avon lands or something, then uh, it, they're going to sell well, right? But if it's, like, some random artist or uh, the art isn't as popular, like, people aren't going to want them as much so i think there's like still a couple more unknowns we need to wait yeah uh, wait for absolutely. hopefully packs will, will shed some insight this week um but like I, I think the art will play an important role so i'm pretty sure when they spoil the art it's going to be big news yeah absolutely i think uh that's a great point i think we're going to learn a lot of stuff uh during packs uh not just for battle of zendikar i do you think now it was debunked and this is going off topic a little bit, but that's okay. We could spend a couple minutes on this. We had a fake Zendikar battle. We had a fake Fetchland announcement that was quickly debunked. But do you think they would announce it at PAX? Like, they could still announce it, theoretically. But do you think they would announce it at PAX? Like, Zend- the Zendikar Fetchlands are in X. 100% no. No? No, okay. because they would take... They're trying to hype up Battle for Zendikar, right? So why would they, like, give yeah. so much attention to, like, whatever future set it's got coming in, right? So... Right. I, I would think sense. all the all the big announcements will be about Battle for Zendikar. Like, they would well, save that later when you can actually pre-order the next set to, to sell that set. Yeah. I bet, um, I, I bet we do get some commander info. Like, I think that most of it will be focused on Zendikar, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a short, like, segment previewing it. Because there isn't really, I guess there's a pro tour coming up, and they do some spoilers then before uh, Commander releases. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a little more info regarding, uh, like, a couple of the face cards, or even the packaging with the uh, first card you see from the Commander uh, decks this year. 
And we did get that last year, so I wouldn't be surprised either. They di- they actually did spoil them like the same time. Like we got the news for this like cons, and then they also revealed like the uh, the Planeswalker Commanders at PAX too. And just a reminder to everyone: uh, seven thirty Saturday night uh, Eastern time. They are yeah. live streaming the Zendikar preview show. I think it's an hour long, and they have a bunch of special guests and celebrities and stuff. And supposed to be a ton of new previews, so if you got the time and you want to check it out for yourself, I definitely recommend uh, tuning into that if you can. Yeah. Now, theoretically, although it's going to be unlikely, they could still be in the Commander product. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, yes. Uh, I still think that's exceedingly unlikely, but in theory, that's true. It would be kind of funny if that, like, actually ended up happening I think, anyway. I think it's more likely that it shows up in the second set of the Zendikar block. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a guarantee by any means, but if it shows up in the next six months, that would be my bet. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right, so a little tangent there. So, yeah, Full Art Lands, they're back. We'll see what they look like. Honestly, it's up in the air what, what really kind of impact they're going to have financially. Uh, we can only look back to what Zendikar did. Maybe in five years we get $250 Battle for Zendikar fat packs, but we don't know. There, there's definitely a lot more of them. So, this is your time, Richard. It's Eternal Weekend time. Let's talk about it. We know you didn't watch that much of it because you divulged it. You divulged that to us before we did the cast, so shame on you. But I don't blame you um, we were just talking off-cast to everyone listening. The, the coverage was abysmal, and that's being nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, say the coverage needs improvement. And yes. I, I was turned away from watching Eternal Weekend, even though I actively wanted to watch it. Yeah. I managed to get in a few more matches, but had the coverage been a lot better, I would have watched the entire thing. We'll dance around and say certain people covering the tournament could have been more enticing, the overlay could have been improved, and the quality and number of cameras could have been improved. And that'll be a, a very nice way of uh, critiquing Eternal Weekend. But other than that, what, I mean, what did you think? I mean, you got to see Vintage in, like, how long? Since the last time Eternal Vision, we, no, we have... saw VSL. We saw VSL. It hasn't been that. Yeah, yeah. And we we also had a Legacy GP recently, but uh, it's just cool seeing the hardcore Eternal players come out and their decks and how they foil them and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of people take it a lot less seriously, like the Splinter Twin guy who topped eight Legacy. Just like yo, I'm just jabbing the modern deck. Throw in some forces and some dual lands, and we're good to go. And he, I think the, I think the highlight of the weekend was how pissed off Seth was <laughs> about this Winter Twin guy. He was so mad. You were so mad about Wait, that. Why are you so mad about Splitter Twin, man? Well, I was, <laughs> I, I was just embarrassed. Like, oh my! If you watch it on camera, these legacy <laughs> players had no clue like how to play against the Splinter Twin combo. They, he would resolve a Splinter Twin. The guy would have an opportunity to swords it or pyroblast it, and would just be like, "Nah, that's all right." And just pass, and the game would go on. And eventually, the Splinter Twin player would have a bunch of counter spells and play a Splinter Twin, and the guy would lose. Like the first rule of playing against Splinter Twin is you just kill the damn Splinter Twin. Like it's that 
simple, but apparently legacy players haven't learned that yet. It's the lack of respect. They're like, you're not. How are you going to cast a four mana spell? Come on, guys. So they, they don't <laughs> respect it. And then they eventually, you know, lose. I mean, if you remove the Slitter Twin combo, which is about roughly, uh, I don't know, like 10 cards, like the, the, the two creatures and then the Splinter Twin, it's, it's kind of like a, a red, uh, blue mid-range shell. So something you'd see, like, out of a Stoneblade deck or a Miracles deck, uh, aside from the finishing piece. So it has game, right? It runs Dig Through Time. So it has enough cards that if you go long enough, it can win. Uh, the problem is it's a seven mana combo and like, I don't know how you can get that through, <laughs> but you know, it, it can kind of play the grindy mid range game. So I can see how it can take games, but top eight was a surprise to me. Like it must have played like against miracles all day or something. Like, I, I don't know how it beats like any fast deck or anything like that, right? Like so, so this is more of just kind of like a fluke, not something that you should start gaming for, like in Legacy. I don't know if it's called a. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a fluke. It's not a but fluke. It's definitely it's not, not a, a tier fluke, one but... deck. Like, why would you not just play Omnitel if you want to play a combo deck? Right? It's like a three mana combo. You have access to two mana lands, right? Like. It's, <laughs> It's just like a better version of the deck, right? Like, or if you well, want to go all in, play Storm, right? Or if you want to play the mid-range game, play a Stoneblade deck or play Miracles. So I, I don't think it does anything better than these existing decks, except throw the curveball at people and just confuse them. Right, well, and then the, the troll factor, version. right? The internet fits, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, that definitely happens. So uh, I guess that's a success. But I mean, it's like it's like the modern deck, right? Like like, like you said, Richard, it it played more akin to like a Miracles deck or, like, a weird blue-red Delver or something like that where the ideal situation is you want to break up the combo, right? Like, you want to play, like, sneak in the Deceiver XR kind of, like, inconspicuously and then play along and wait till your hand is kind of chock full of counters to then go for the Splinter Twin, right? Like, that's the idea. I I highly doubt it was, like, a turn three... You know, creature turn four splitter twin. It played right. more like a grindy mid range match, and then instead of killing you with a batter skull or a jace, I'm going to use this two card splitter twin combo to kill you, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, not as efficient, but yeah. you know, if the other guy is like dead, right? If you've dig through time twice and jaced a couple times, yeah, you can afford seven mana and like two cards to kill him, right? So yeah, it's not that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut, try to cut you off. I didn't mean to. Um. Technically, it's like, you know, you're, you're still beating them down with, like, a Pestermite and a Vendillion Click. Those are, like, legitimate, like, threats in the air. Like, you you have Snapcaster Mage, you have stuff like that. You can start grinding them out and then do what you were saying. Like, you, you just kind of wait and then go for the Splinter Twin. It's just, like, modern, right? Yeah, I mean, it is a modern deck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It'd even funnier if you play Shocklands, but, uh, yeah, I can't <laughs> <play>, so... <laughs> Did anything else stand out on the legacy aspect of Eternal Weekend to you, Richard? Anything that might spark something down the line, or um... so much dig through time, so much dig yeah. through time. It's that card needs to get banned. Like I don't know, it, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, nostalgic appeal like Brainstorm. Like Brainstorm is obviously the strongest card in the format, but it's kind of been there since forever, so no one's gonna touch it. But Dig Through Time is the fifth most played spell after Force of Will, Brainstorm, Ponder, Lightning Bolt. And it, it's just, it's basically Treasure Cruise, right? It's like, it, it's probably better than Treasure Cruise because you get, you know, your two best cards instead of just three random cards off the top. 
Um, but we saw it everywhere. There were a lot of uh, Delver decks, uh, Grixis Delver, Four Color Delver, uh, Omnitel. You know, everyone's running Dig Through Time in the top eight. So uh, maybe they'll leave it alone, or maybe we'll get more um, kind of things that prevent you from delving, like Incidental Graveyard Hate or something. But I'd like to see Dig Through Time gone. Yeah. You've said over the course of the cast that it, it needs to go. Like, it's just not something you want to leave around. Yeah, it tilts the advantage to blue even further now. <laughs> like, you know, blue has all the good spells, and we're still giving it better spells, like, in 2015, so. And you said green was overpowered. Come on. Green's overpowered in standard. And- yeah, in standard. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, Waiting for Siege Rhino to break into Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, Splinter I Twin thought it happened. I turned on spell. Eternal Weekend. I'm like, why is there a Siege Rhino there? But then I'm like, wait a minute. That's like Banch Heroic on the other side. So <laughs> they just randomly put Standard on, you know, for the Eternal players. <laughs> Seth, what did you think of Eternal Weekend uh, as a whole? Did you watch it uh, as much? Because we could start just talking about the Star City Games Open. Um, I watched quite a bit of it, and the coverage was lacking in a lot of ways, but I still enjoyed it. Like, for me, Legacy and Vintage are two of my favorite formats, probably my two favorite formats to watch on camera. So even, it's kind of like Magic Online. (laughs) Even though there's a lot of problems, (laughs) uh, as far as actually doing it, I just love it so much that I'm going to stick it out anyway. So I watched a lot of it, and I actually enjoyed it despite the uh, coverage problems. So, and the other thing, the one thing I wanted to mention is Hangerback Walker, like, took over, this was its coming out party in Vintage. So, that was kind of going into the weekend, one of the debates. Uh, If you're not familiar with Vintage workshops based around uh, Mistress Workshop, which adds three mana on turn one to cast artifact spells, is one of the big decks, and there's a bunch of different flavors of it. And this has been one of the top decks in Vintage for years now, and the all of the best performing workshop decks this weekend were running main deck hangerback walkers combined with arcbound ravager and it seems crazy to me but uh, it looks like hangerback is a legitimate vintage card it definitely seems like that that's for sure not that, um, that matters for the price because uh, 50 people in the world play vintage so it's not going <laughs> to like drive the price but it is cool to see a new card that was just printed come out and kind of shine in a, the oldest, most powerful format in all of Magic. Dude, yeah. getting your hanger back locker Dak faded is like such a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's like unkillable if it's like a 4-4. Like, Lightning Bolt does not kill it, and it's actually pretty hard to kill big creatures that are resolved in Vintage. Um, so it's actually pretty funny just, just watching these like humongous... Uh, Hangerback walkers beating people down, and even if they somehow manage to kill it, you get all these stopper tokens, which then finish the job. So, hangerback walker, multi-format all-star. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that, like, X amount of years later, there's still new cards being added to Vintage. Uh, the oldest, like, most powerful format, like you said, Seth, like, hangerback walker. We also saw, like, Dragonlord Dramoka <laughs> in the top oath, like, the, the winning deck list, the oath list by Brian Kelly. Um, it was, it's crazy. There was a one of Narset. So like as early as like magic origins and even the previous set dragons of Tarkir, there's, there's role players as early as, as those in, uh, 
and vintage. Yeah, I mean, Mentor, Monastery Mentor is a recent yep, thing. Yep. Uh, Dig Through Time, Treasure Cruise. So Vintage has actually changed quite a bit. It's actually got quite a few new cards. It had Dak Faden before that. I think a Dark Petition, Reed Duke was talking oh, about playing yeah. in his Storm deck with, and over some like Grim Tutor or something, he was playing Dark Petition, which was really interesting. I was told several times that people would pay five mana for a Yagmoth's will on camera, so <laughs> Dark Petition gets the nod. <laughs> I think Vintage has get has had more cards included into the format than Legacy. That's like kind of sad. I think that's actually true. But the thing is, it's like the the meta game is so warped and specific. It is really it weird. Is. Cards show up like anything that's an artifact that needs a lot of mana and is really powerful has a good shot of like coming in a Vintage. Anything uh, yeah, that interacts Jack- with artifacts, like Jack Faden, also uh, has a good shot. But, you know, Legacy got Gurmog Angler. <laughs> 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 yeah, it did. It did. Jace, um, little Jace was a lo- around. We saw him quite a few times on camera. Didn't do much, but... Uh, <laughs> Rin's Prodigy was, was trying to duke it out in Legacy. He was. Um, moving along, so we we also got a Star City... The, the modern uh, open, this was a good one. I mean, I think uh, we're not going to get modern for a while now, aren't we? Aren't we, Seth? Like, I don't believe there's much modern coming up, unless there's something I'm missing, but I don't believe so. So the next time we see, like, a big modern... I mean, these, these SCG modern opens kind of keep it relevant, but the season doesn't really kick off for a little while again. Right. No, I think it'll be like this winter before we really get a string of GPs and modern events. Yeah. But I mean, these these modern opens do keep it relevant. I mean, we're going to talk about the price movement here in a little bit, but uh, it still does affect the market. Um, like they, they still can affect the market. Yeah. I mean, and people like modern. Modern is unlike old school or vintage or even legacy it is a fnm type format there are stores that run this on friday night magic and people are playing it casually so i think that's a big advantage for modern over a lot of the other non-rotating formats absolutely um so it was an interesting top eight uh so john won the tournament with joseph herrera uh featuring a one of abbot of carol keep how do you like that seth Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Only Dude, a one of, but... It's, we, we saw it in Legacy as well. People keep trying this Abbott, and uh, I think we're going to see it some more. It, it's a really good card. Like, you can't play Snapcaster in Jund. So Abbott's, like, kind of a worse Snapcaster, and it, it actually probably did some work during the, day, uh, during the weekend. I mean, it, it definitely led him to the first place uh, finish, so it might have had some part in that. Um Dude, this deck is two thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, and for the one more thousand, you is... could just build a vintage dredge deck. <laughs> yeah, and and the second place list is five hundred. Paid away five seventy two, but Jund so... always has the most expensive price. <laughs> like yeah. Goyfs are always in there, and Liliana's, and then you jam in like all the best cards in these three colors. It's always so expensive. And then you have like Merfolk, and it's like a third of the price. <laughs> <laughs> This is like commons and uncommons and like a couple of like five dollar cards. Dude, and then vials are so expensive now. They are. Jeez. And caverns too. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Cavern is up there. Forty five bucks for a cavern. 
Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I thought this was supposed to be the affordable format. What happened? <laughs> I mean, Curse Catcher's a $10 uncommon. I knew that when I built my Legacy Merfolk deck. I'm like, why is this stupid uncommon, like $10? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so a couple notable things. Uh, Tom Ross, third place with Infect. Uh, basic Infect list. Collected Company Nihilist, featuring Dramoka's Command, uh, was interesting. Uh, locks it on Smiters, starting to see a good amount of play. Saw a little bit of price movement uh, not too long ago. I think Foils. But then, yeah, you have the, the deck list by Michael Majors with four Jace Vrin's Prodigy. So you tried it. I guess uh, you got fifth place with it, so it's not too bad. Interesting. I, I thought the premier modern uh, Flipwalker would be Liliana, but uh looks like uh, Jace foiled us again. Jace Whoa. is showing up everywhere. People people really like looters. It's it's doing work. I guess he graduated college, man. <laughs> oh, not <laughs> Just waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing the, is, if looters are so good, why not play Merfolk looter? Why is that? Because he doesn't turn play? into a planeswalker. That's but, why. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, I mean that's a legitimate argument. I'm, no, I'm not trying to like but downplay it, what you're saying. That's but, true, but the thing is, like, Jace in the late game isn't even a looter because you loot with it once and then it flips. So if you really want looting, Jace isn't that great of a card, except for on turn two. Unless oh, no, you're, no. I, I would say it's a two man of planeswalker, right? <laughs> and he gets he, he allows you to loot during the first couple turns. Right, because like in the worst case scenario, you play Jace, they bolt it, you're just down one mana, right? Like you only lost one mana in that exchange, so it's not like the end of the world. Whereas if you manage to flip him, you can flash back something, or you can try to take him up. Like he did a lot of work. He did a lot of work when I see him on uh, whenever I see him on camera. So I've turned a corner on Jace. You know, I seeing think... him pop up in Legacy, Modern, Standard, like. He's better uh, than Jace the Mind Sculptor, man. <laughs> what? The the thing I've learned about Jace is that even a horrible version of Snapcaster is still really good. I think that's mostly where I went wrong when I was uh, looking at Jace, because a sorcery speed, like, limited version of Snapcaster is apparently still pretty powerful with all the cheap spells you have in Modern and Legacy. Yeah, and even a pseudo-red version. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Abbott's showing up, right? Abbott's, Abbott's much worse than Jace Friend's Prodigy, right? So much worse. So, he's showing up. I think not only he graduated college, he got his master's. <laughs> he got his master's. Uh, we, need the, we need the next round of spoilers to come out so that we can uh, win win back the battle here so Chaz can't rub <laughs> it in her face like every week. <laughs> It's like Battle for Zendikar, you see like a two mana, like zero three that like gains two life. Like better mark it as eternal playable, right? Did you see my tweet over over the weekend? Ration player, the yeah. I find that so funny. How is that a top ten standard creature? <laughs> it gains three life and it blocks. <laughs> it's literally like, it's so crazy. Maybe, yeah, I'll, all I have to do is like next, next, uh... Next, like Battle for Zendikar, if they have like an Arashine cleric type card, I just call that the best card in the format. Two months later, it'll be a top ten creature. Like what? What was the other one? Feed the pack or whatever? The the gain life? Like we we always like write off gain life because we've been taught that gain life <laughs> is bad. 
<laughs> but it's been showing yeah. a lot inside voice. And then you see in the Pro Tour the dude's like playing like four copies of Feed the Clan. Oh, Feed the Clan, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's literally two mana gain ten life. It's like a Hearthstone card. <laughs> it's like so bad. But, I mean, it, it, it it's literally only there to combat red, like Arashin Cleric. I just, it's so funny. It's like the Yoked Ox. Yoked Ox, Nick's Fleece Ram. Like, <laughs> we've seen a lot of these gain life cards, and they always show up, so... Next yeah, no, I... Gain life. <laughs> Put it in yeah. plus on that. No, I don't understand, because, like, Nick's Fleece Ram is still legal. Like, why play the Cleric over the Ram? Cleric kills things. I guess so, and but, I mean... Because, like, gain- the, the red decks play a lot of X1s, right? X1s, yeah. And do, it gains yeah. the life all at once, which is kind of big in some situations. Like, in the late game, late game you're at three life, and you want to get out of Stoke range. Like, Nick's Fleece Ram isn't great there. That's true. Yeah, that, I guess that makes... I mean, when they have eight copies of a four-damage spell, <laughs> that, that kind of makes sense. Any kind of final... Oh, Michael Siegel with your budget brew... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was sweet. That, I was so happy to see that do well on camera. I mean, it was it was like literally the budget <laughs> It was literally the budget brew like the 40 like uh modern daily list that showed up like a week prior to this. My my favorite part was just hearing how befuddled Cedric and Patrick Sullivan were like they had no idea what was going on and they thought this was like the most absurd thing they had ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> like the I mean, whole it match, yeah. Like, how is he winning with these cards? What is happening? I don't get it. I mean, when you look at it, your only real win condition is like Sun Titan. Like, it's a pretty good win condition, though. <laughs> it, it is, but like, then you have like a like a lone missionary, a pilgrim's eye, but then I guess you throw a mortar pot on it, and there you go, man. <laughs> and you're good golden. <laughs> also, Leon Trazi came in 10th place playing the Lantern of Insight deck. It, he did. Yeah. I thought that deck was dead, but he, he kept it alive, unfortunately. <laughs> it's such a painful deck to watch. Yeah, it is It is pretty painful. It is also pretty unique, though, so I it like is. it just because of that. It's, it plays on a whole different axis than, uh, axis than most decks that we see in modern, so... Wait, I, I'm not I, I'm not against watching, like, decks like this. Like, I loved watching Owling Mine back in, like, I could watch that deck on stream all day because it's just so funny, but, like, this is just absolutely painful. I mean, it's Lantern of Insight. I mean, it's so, like... <laughs> Dude, people were, like, throwing these away. <laughs> so bad. I, ah. Oh, it was so funny. I just can't believe it. Ah, <laughs> oh, and, like, Codex Shredder. It was, like, barely, like, limited junk. <laughs> yeah, that card's not even limited playable, really. That's, oh, my uh, God. It's awful. <laughs> and then you, like, watch what people legitimately lose to it. Drink, what am I watching? This can't be real. That has to be one of the worst ways to lose because oh my God, like so you can see the top card of your library and know that you need that card, but you also know that a league can just mill that card whenever he wants to. So it's almost like getting fate sealed with Jace, but you get to watch it happen. And and not only that, it's not like he's playing like Glimpse the Unthinkable and you're losing like 10, 20 cards at a time. Like you're literally getting milled like one card <laughs> at a time. It's like it's driving like a needle into your eye. It's so <laughs> awful. It's it's really the worst to watch. It's uh 
I was really hoping that deck would never see the light of day ever again. But <laughs> thank you, Ali Antrazi, for keeping it alive. I guess. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, I, I guess that. Uh, any kind of final thoughts on the uh, modern or eternal weekend stuff? All right, price movement, Seth, and then we got some fish mail. All right, so looking at the weekly change in standard, we have the winners, Hangerback Walker, Jace, again, hooray, Tragic Arrogance, Evolutionary Leap, Den Protector, Wooded Foothills, Flooded Strand, Hardened Scales, Temple of Malady, and Anger of the Gods. And then uh, losing this week are Temple of Epiphany, Days Undoing, Demonic Pact, Goblin Rabblemaster, Liliana, Nissa, Goblin Pile Driver, Chandra, Languish, and Kytheon. Uh, all those Planeswalkers are the Magic Origins versions, so the Flipwalkers. Well, good thing Temple of Epiphany. Maybe they listened to our podcast and they started uh, realizing um, it's like gone in like a couple weeks. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good to see that it's losing value. Because that yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah, me too. That was a crazy price spike for being oh, so close God. to rotation. Um, on the weekly changes, um, Hardened Scales is an interesting one. This has actually been showing up. Richard, you posted all those like um, Moto Champs lists. Uh, there were some daily lists. I have seen it start to kind of like crop up there sometimes. It was like yeah, these. Uh, it, like, it shows up in very questionable lists. I don't know that yeah. we've seen a good list yet. Uh, what's interesting is with the uh, the uh, Moto Champs, they start they post the losing list, so you see lists that go O five, and uh, <laughs> Seth and I were doing through them the other day, and Hardened Scales was one of those. So we we see it, we it's a one mana card, so like it's pretty easy to slot to decks, and it, it's a pretty low cost card to play. So we keep seeing it from time to time, but I haven't seen like a really good tier 1 or even tier 1.5 deck uh, trying to run hardened scales yet but it, it seems like it's going to happen people keep trying the card like people like that card yeah I mean the the best I can see it was uh, by username pterodactyl uh, it was just li- listed as green uh, it was a standard champs it went 4-1 it, it honestly looked like an event deck I mean you literally had like 24 is 3 rogues passage as your as your land base, that's a that's an event deck uh, land base right there. Um, you had four hardened scales, four collected company, and then just like a bunch of value green creatures like Avatar of the Resolute. Like a uh, that's an event deck all star right there. <laughs> uh, Hangerback Walker makes sense. Honored Hierarch is a one of, and then like Dent Protector, Deathmist Raptor, Mana Gorger Hydra. Uh, that's interesting. It's like I a green devotion it. deck without a top end. Yeah. But it runs Hangerback, Walker, Dun Protector, Deathness Raptor. Like, that's, so that's enough like, to win. <laughs> <laughs> that's like literally all you need right there. Like that's a all bunch you need. Of, like, then it has like this token, uh, this counter sub <laughs> Yeah. Like literally, I think if you have those eight, four, eight, like 12, like the, the three play sets right there, you're, I think you'll be all right. It's like, let me name every deck in standard. Hangerback, Walker, Dun Protector, Deathness Raptor, and Siege Rhino. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> like okay, yeah, you're good. Like that, that should be a deck, like the making of a deck right there. Um, other than that, we saw some hype on uh, evolutionary leap, right? Right, Seth, uh, making yeah. a big splash in Chris Van Meters. He didn't make day two. Chris, uh, yeah, if you're listening, uh, that was 
it was still a really good run. It was it was a great it was a blast to watch on on camera. Um, do you think uh, this can maybe start ticking up as we go along? I think it's possible. I mean, even though the deck itself uh, it was an elves combo deck, and the main idea of it is you can use evolutionary leap like a combo piece, so you can play a one mana elf, and when you have the heritage druid nettle sentinel package going. Uh, you get to make three mana basically every time you cast a one mana elf. So you spend uh, one of that mana to cast the elf, another to sack the elf to evolutionary leap, and then you play another one mana elf. In, so every time you go through this, you are generating an additional mana. And you can do this as soon as turn two, and eventually you'll evolutionary leap into Emrakul and theoretically cast a turn two Emrakul off of this combo. So I think even though the deck didn't have that great of a weekend, that just sounds cool enough that people are going to play it. Like turn two Emrakul and Elves combo, that's the deck that people are going to build and play. So I think the demand could be increasing on Evolutionary Leap. Yeah, and I had people ask me about the card. I mean, this is the first, I would say, successful use of the card, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely the first successful combo use of the card. I've seen it, like, in fringe, like, elf decks and standards. Even it was in the sideboard of green-red devotion, more as a way to protect yourself from removal. But I haven't seen it as a combo piece at all until now. Right. So, I mean, I think this kind of just opened the door, like, for deck building around this card. And, I mean, on this cast, we kind of all liked I mean, I don't know. We we kind of knew it was a powerful card, um, you know, just being akin to, like, just being as a fair version of Survival of the Fittest, a very fair version. But, you know, people were still kind of timid. You know, they didn't really... It, it was the same way with uh, Collected Company, right? Like, people kind of knew, like, oh, you could build a deck around that. It would be kind of cool. I think you could do it. And then all of a sudden, like, Collected Company lists are, like, taking over, you know, Standard and Modern. So I think, you know, you just need that one kind of successful use where, you know, people see it and they're like, oh, oh, I guess you could use the card like this. Well, how else could it be used? And, you know, people just start finding success based off that. I, I think the problem is, though, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of other ways you can use it. Like the problem with Evolutionary Leap, obviously, is that it's random. So you don't know what card you're getting off of the top of your deck when you sack something. But Chris Van Meter eliminated this problem yep. by just playing every crappy one-mana elf. He was playing Essence Warden and other like unplayable one-mana elves, so he didn't care. All he cared about was hitting a one-mana green creature. So it got rid of the problem with the random variants. But in most decks, that's still a major hurdle to overcome. So I'm not sure... Like how it's not like birthing pot or even collected company where you can just play it and it'll be good. You really got to build around evolutionary leap. Yeah. So I mean, who knows? There's a lot of value cards to be. Maybe this is just a beginning. You know, it is one of those cards that gets better as time goes on, right? It does have that going for it. Yeah, they keep printing more creatures, so it keeps getting <laughs> I mean, better. <laughs> there you go. Um, on the modern side of things, weekly changes. Cloudstone Curio, obviously off the back of the uh, Evolutionary Elves. Uh, we got Ar Arcbound Ravagers, Sword of Fire and Ice, Light and Shadow. Uh, so both of those. Craterhoof Behemoth, Academy Ruins, Sword of Warden Peace, Grove of the Burn Willows, Light from the Lone, Wanderwine Hub. On the Losers, Verdant Catacombs, Misty Rainforest, Arid Mesa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Uh, 
Noble Hierarch, Blood Moon, Omniscience, Cryptic Command, Ulamog. I did say Cryptic Command, right? Yeah. Uh, so both versions of Cryptic Command, actually. Any? I'm trying to look at the online if there's anything popping out on that. I'm not seeing anything crazy. No, it's it's pretty similar. Kind of the same type of cards uh, that are increasing and decreasing. The elves cards in specific have really shot up a lot. So yeah. And, and with the paper cards in modern, there's really not much to know. Like I was, I've said the last couple weeks. Like yeah. Cloudstone Curio is a big deal, 161% is a huge increase, but the other cards, like Ravager's 2%, Sword of Fire and Ice 1%, like, technically, these are changes, but they're not even, like, anything to write home about. You can't get any trend or real sense of what's happening from 1% or 2%. Yeah. So, I, I think that kind of wraps up the um, the price movement. Liliana the Veil is almost $100 online, up 8 point seven three bucks ten percent yeah it's uh it's expensive yeah it's it's a, it's just about as expensive online that it is in paper so um yeah all right um moving on to fish mail we have an actual fish mail and then more of like a statement which i guess we wanted to talk about so uh go ahead richard um so well, here's the statement. I, I just put it here so you guys are aware. Uh, from Nick Hogg, love the cast, but you got to work on cards. Oblivion Sour, Sierra Angel, hashtag yelling at the radio. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of suck. We're working on it. We'll, we'll, we'll do a better job. You know, we, we don't want to become like a certain coverage team and just like botch it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, 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 we'll work on it. I'll, I'll train Seth in specific. He gets a lot more flack on YouTube videos than the cast. <laughs> but uh, on to actual fish mail. So, yeah, uh, we'll do a better job. <laughs> at Rob Sullivan 86 uh, finance question. Should we buy the Flipwalkers now, especially Jace, or should we wait for rotation? It's kind of like an open-ended question. Like in terms – if you need them to play them, I mean I – they're already kind of established, right? I mean, they're. it's not like, you know, I don't think Jace is suddenly going to drop like $15 for some reason. I mean, it's it obviously played in multiple formats. It's it's a very good card. Uh, they're all unique. Um, So, I mean, if you need them, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, uh, for me, I think the way the question was worded, where it's asking, even like presenting the possibility of waiting to rotation, to me that means a person doesn't necessarily need them now to play standard. If you're right. looking at just like wanting to have these in your collection to play casual or EDH, I'm pretty sure all of these, even Jace, I think, will be quite a bit cheaper at rotation if you're willing to wait that long. Yes. That that is okay. So yeah, I I was gonna say that too. What about it's gonna be a Jace? long time. <laughs> um, we saw a lot of Jace at Eternal Weekend. Yeah, we see I mean, people trying in modern. Do you guys think it's the foil is only fifty bucks right now? So the multiplier yeah, is, is not kind of that a, high. So do you guys? No, think it isn't. It's time to get in on the foil Jace train. Well, I think the foils of these like. You pose a really good que uh, like statement there, uh, or a question, I guess, rather, Richard. Like, discounting Eternal Weekend and, like, all that. Like, 
these Flipwalkers are so unique, right? Like, they're, they're just unique cards in general that foils could just go up just from that. Like, that, you know, people, you know, they're kitchen table kind of cards. Like, people really like these Flipwalkers. Um, they're good in EDH. Uh, they're just good all around because they're such, they're unique cards that might not even get printed. You know, we might not ever see a, a Flipwalker ever again. It, the best thing about them is they are incredible incredibly hard to reprint like it, you have to go through an entire different printing yeah. process to stick these in a, a a supplemental product or a standard legal set so it's not something you really have to worry about just showing up in a commander deck unless we see some sort of change where flip cards are kind of a new norm and they're doing these all the time like it's very unlikely they can just reprint these in some random set yeah but, I mean, yeah, Richard, th those multipliers are looking very low. I think that's under even, like, one, isn't it? One thing uh, to keep in mind, too, is Magic Online Redemption hasn't actually started yet. Well, I guess by the time the cast is posted, it will have. It starts this Wednesday, so the 26th, and that will start increasing supply, especially of these oil cards that don't get opened very often. So I would wait a little bit and see what happens once that supply starts hitting the market. Yeah. There there are is there is also an increased amount of the foils because of those pre-release foils. So those kind of like botch things up sometimes too. Yep. Yeah, cuz you I, I remember you doing an article about that, right, Seth? Um uh yes, to some extent. I I didn't really research pre-release foils so much in specific. Um but that does definitely increase the supply uh, uh, of the Mythics just because they show up as those promos. Yeah, so I, I think that's the best way we can answer that question. I mean, if you want to wait till Magic Origins rotates, a, a lot of these are going to go down. I mean, um, the, even Jace, like, like Seth said, I, I can't imagine them not all decreasing. But if you want them to play, I mean, you're going to get a good amount of use out of them they probably won't go down a, a chunk until they rotate. Yeah, I think if you want to play with them, you can go ahead and pick them up. I think they'll continue to decrease, but I don't think you're going to lose your shirt in the deal if you buy them because you want to play with them now. Yeah, I mean, the market value, you can get kind of a, a deal on them. I, I think I see them going for like 25 something like that. Uh, yeah. Jace you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You can find them that low. So, I mean, you're not going to, yeah, you're not going to lose your shirt, like you said. Like, you're not going to, like, want to kill yourself because you lost $5 on a Jace. And not to keep harping on Magic Online, but last time I checked, you can redeem, starting uh, this week, a complete set of Magic Origins for about 125 bucks. And just mm. the Flip Walkers and Hanger Back Walker retail for more than that themselves right now. So if you're looking for a way to acquire them, it might not be a bad pathway to picking up uh, your Planeswalkers. Yeah. Uh, we had one more, right, Richard? Yep, we have one more fishmail question from, let me pull it up, uh, at Shaitzi, I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, do you think Hangerback Walker has peaked? Hmm. <sighs> um... At 28, no, that's, I'm looking at the wrong card, sorry. Uh, I was going to say. Uh, paper, um, it's showing me 1699. 
Market's like 15 bucks. I don't know if I think it could like gradually increase, but I mean not too much more. I mean maybe actually I don't know. What's, I don't know if we've been seen the it. most expensive rare like recently in standard. Goblin Rabble Master. Oh yeah, that, that's true. And that peaked at just under twenty bucks. It got to nineteen sixty uh, for a short time, but it it stayed right about fifteen dollars for most of its life in standard. So yeah. that's my take on it. I think the Goblin Rabble Master comparison is a good one. I don't think as an imprint rare, especially in a set with all these expensive flipwalkers, that it can go to twenty five, thirty dollars. So I think that around twenty is probably maybe slightly over twenty is about as high as it gets. And probably the 15 range is where it'll sit for most of its uh, time and standard. Yeah. I mean, the only thing about uh, Rabble Master, you can't use a Mishra's Workshop. <laughs> that is that is true. <laughs> I mean, Bangerback Walker hit the big, the big leagues, man. The vintage. <laughs> I mean, an interesting comparison also is Mudavault, because it is no. a mirrorless <laughs> card. So Mutavolt. it can God damn it, oh, Seth. You Did ruined I, uh, the podcast. <laughs> no, Mutavault. There I was like, Mutavault? What the hell is that? <laughs> Mutavault. Um, we got it, guys. We fixed Seth. <laughs> yes, yeah, we did it. Problem solved. We did it. But, I mean, uh, Vault was yep. close to $40 during its time in Standard. And Hangerback Walker is a colorless card. Obviously, the opportunity cost of playing it isn't as low as a land that you can just jam in literally everything. But being yeah. a colorless two drop, I think you can play Hanger Back in more decks than you could play Rabble Master. Yeah, I think that's a. We've good seen comparison. them jammed into like every conceivable deck, right? Aggro, mid range, control. Yeah. Like, it pretty much is mutable. You just put it in any deck. Mutable actually had the downside of like making your mana base worse, whereas Hanger Back Walker is just all win, right? So, I I, I think. Maybe this year for it could another, hit like really long hanger back walker stay in standard. I think he's gonna be around for a long time. Oh man! Unless they pick something that incidentally exiles artifacts. That's like yes. commonly played. Yes, yes, Or just a really good creature that somehow exiles an artifact or something like that. Like a like a ooze for artifact. <laughs> what was yeah. that cat guy? The lean in arbiter. Leon and Arbiter? Yeah, yeah. Leon and Arbiter. Oh, man, we're screwed up all the names today. <laughs> we almost made it right to the end I, of the game. I, I actually I, don't know how to, the word is even spelled. So. Le, yeah, Leon and Arbiter. That's a shuffle effect. Oh, is that... What, what's the one that, like, is the... The, um... Oh. The, what, what is this? The thing that exiles when it enters the battlefield, and then oh. you give it back when it leaves? Banisher, Banisher Priest? No, no, but it's just for artifacts. Oh. Oh. Um, Leonin Relic Warden. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking of. Not the shuffle. Not not the Ghost Quarter guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something it's, like it's that. Actually, would be sweet. Yeah, it's it's actually Leonin Relic Warder. Ah, uh, close. Very close. Very <laughs> close. Yeah, it's a double white two two back from uh, Marod and Besieged. Mirrored. Yeah, I mean, there you go. I guess. Then it comes back in and just dies. Problem solved. We fixed standard again. Wizards, are you listening? <laughs> yes, please. Wizards. Good lord. Don't do this. <laughs> we already had like we already 
went through like a year, what, like two years of Corsair of Crucifix. Like, good lord, stop. Now we have like Siege Rhino on our hands. Don't, don't do this. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the return of overpowered spells. Yes. Like I, I know we got sick Wait, of Sphinx's revelation, what? but <laughs> come on, we need some. We just had spells. like two, like insta banned sorcery and instant spells. Get out of here. <laughs> we just had Treasure Cruise this and like green guy stuff. who just wants to be green all in standard. Forest will no. play card of magic. What's up with that? <laughs> no, but like what? Like twenty years later, we're still banning like blue cards. Like, come on, ridiculous. You know who's never gotten love? Red. Red never gets anything good. Meanwhile, it just like, was like its last like, good card. Meanwhile, Red Deck wins just won two Pro Tours in a row. That, that's true, but. A one mana two two doesn't get me excited as like the new tech for red. I guess Abbot of Carol Keep is yeah. the new hotness, but that's not as exciting. Nah, no, it's not. I mean, if we get a, if they somehow reprinted Goblin Guide, I think your interest would be very peaked. Or a playable Chandra. Yeah, that that is kind of. I guess we had one good Chandra. We did, and then they like. Just, all right, well, we did it, so <laughs> let's not do that again. Anything, uh, any closing thoughts on anything we talked about? Uh, something quick on something we haven't talked about on the way out the door. They announced today a new digital magic game, uh, Magic the Puzzle Quest, uh, a free-to-play mobile game, supposed to be uh, previewed at PAX, uh, so... What do you guys think about this? Have you seen this? Do you have any opinions? So, so it's Puzzle it's, Quest with a magic skin, right? Is that my understanding? There's no I, actual magic mechanics or, or anything. I like believe that. so. Yes. <laughs> this is my <laughs> This is my take. Stop wasting time on like Puzzle Quest and fix Moto, like <laughs> dear lord. If you took the time that you're like like stop making Duels of the Planeswalkers and Puzzle Quest, you took all that time and resource, just dumped it in the moto, and we're good. That's it. Like, I don't, I don't think we would have a single problem. So, slightly off topic, but, uh, so, Hearthstone just released their new expansion, okay? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yesterday, uh, Amaz, a popular Hearthstone streamer, was opening packs. A hundred thousand people were watching him open 400 Hearthstone packs. I think the SEG Open had 15,000 people watching them. The Eternal Weekend had like a couple thousand. A hundred thousand people watched a guy just crack packs on stream. I think Unreal. the Pro Tour peaked at just over 40, I think, if I remember correctly. So some random guy opening packs is getting twice as many views as the biggest event in all of Magic. It's not even a slight against Magic. It's just showing you like how big Hearthstone is. Uh, um, like the Legends. Uh, stream gets like 300,000 viewers, so this was like a third of that. Just like some random dude opening packs. No. I think, um... Well, League of Legends... Well, I've, I just opened up Twitch right now as we're talking. So League of Legends has 130,000 viewers. 130.5. Hearthstone has 100... Close to 130,000. Yeah, well, this wasn't yesterday when the set was released. I mean... It was I mean, it, crazy. Well... It's still new, like the 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 set's still new, so everyone's still kind of hyped up on it. Yeah. And the thing is, is like Hearthstone, like usually hovers around like fifty, right? Yeah. 
new set comes out and it's like double over double what it was like I averaging per day. So it's it's scary, man. League of Legends is it, it like usually sits around 130. I think um yeah, what was their like highest? I think they got to like 300,000 or something like that. Yeah, L- LCS I, is usually 300,000. Yeah, I think Dota like the the last invitational like this past invitational peaked like close to 400,000. It was kind of nuts. So, just so everyone know, gets a perspective of what we're working with. So anyway, Maybe back if, on know. topic. Yeah. I like to see the theme Puzzle Quest game. I, I think it's cool. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the current story. Like, I don't care about Jace, Chandra, Gideon, whatever. I mean, it's interesting. I, I kind of like the old school walkers, like Urza, Mishra, and those guys. But it's, it's cool to see the magic IP on different things. Like, I, I don't yeah. think they're taking away resources from Magic Online. I just think it's a separate team doing this. It's like a puzzle game, or they probably just lent them, like, the rights to the images and stuff. Um, but we're getting the Magic the Gathering movie. We're getting this puzzle game. So you can see they're very serious about branching out. And we also got the board game recently. Um, so they're very serious about branching out the, the Magic brand beyond uh, just the actual TCG itself. So I think it's cool. Uh, and I think this will succeed. I, I think Puzzle Quest, the game itself, is fairly popular, and you can't screw it up that badly, right? Like, how, how bad could this be, right? <laughs> well, I guess it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe your phone's memory gets jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> memory leak. <laughs> when you try to go crack a puzzle or something, I don't know. Oh, man. Well, that's a, I think that's a good note to end the cast. <laughs> Will Puzzle Quest end up being good? <laughs> it's a great way to sign off here on uh, episode 32. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, that about wraps things up. We will see you all next time for the next episode. Uh, we'll be back next week.